What's going on, y'all? It's Jared Lamb taking which need a Lamb and Legends podcast show. Uh, today on the show, we have somebody who's been on the show previously, only in an audio format. Uh, we got Mr. Alton Johnson. How you doing, sir? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I'm glad to be back. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, he's the uh, CEO and founder of Vina High Security. He will explain what Vina High means. I didn't know what the hell it meant either. <laughs> but uh, he breaks it down. It's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> so uh, can you give the people a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So I come from a cybersecurity consulting world, um, all ethical hacking. Right. So my entire career was basically, um, you know, helping companies protect themselves from like cyber attacks. So a lot of companies, they have to comply with security regulations like PCI, HIPAA, et cetera. And in order to maintain some of those uh, um Compliance statuses, they have to, you know, do security assessments to prove that their networks are not vulnerable to certain types of cyber cyber attacks, and so that's pretty much what I've done for the most, you know, for the most part of my career. And um, <clears throat> I started Vana High Security about two years ago, um, and you know, basically what Vana High means is to uh, pull from fire, so in Hungarian and Polynesian. So we wanted to kind of, you know, have a name that's unique. That means something, you know. If you Google Vanahai, you won't run across, you know, a refrigerator company or nothing like that. So it's pretty easy for us to, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of stand out on, you know, on Google. So uh, that was a go. <laughs> but, All right, cool, yeah. cool, yeah, because it, it's a very catchy name, it's very interesting. Um, so my first question is, um, what made you want to get in the cybersecurity field? Yeah, so um, as a kid, when I was around 11, 12 years old, basically somebody hacked me. So back in the AOL, Instant Messenger days, AIM, right, you had chat rooms and everybody was just playing games and just talking. And so uh, somebody hacked me when I was around 11 years old and they actually showed me how they did it. And so I was curious. I was like, all right, well, cool. I know how to, you know, I know how to do it now. So I started doing, doing it to everybody else. And um, I didn't hack people at the time, just to figure out what their passwords were or, you know, what their social security numbers were. like. I didn't care about all that. I was mostly just kind of curious to know if I could get inside the computer, if I could like, you know, talk them into opening up a file, get into a computer. And once I got access, I was just like, all right, cool. Well, I'm bored now on to the next person. So um, I did that for several years and I didn't realize you can actually get paid to do that, like legitimately until I got much older. And so that's kind of what got me into like cybersecurity. Um, I got my first job when I was around, I want to say either 19 or 20 years old, doing the same thing, just kind of getting started with, you know, ethical hacking, what is, you know, what is it? Kind of just supporting the guys on the team who were doing uh, ethical hacking at the time. And um, I worked in IT prior to that. But but yeah, that's pretty much how I got I got started in, you know, in the whole field. All right, cool, 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 cool. All right, so uh, if somebody, First of all, how does someone get into your field? Um, can you give a little background? How did you, you get in, like your certifications, education, stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. So once I found out that you could actually get into the field and hack, you know, legally and like get paid to do it and make a living off of getting off of hacking, like once I figured that whole situation out, I was like, all right. So um, 
I got into like IT, just like administering a network, you know, kind of like managing the firewalls, the servers. And we hired a company to come in and do a security assessment. And the guy was doing, you know, he was doing an assessment to, to see if he can, you know, hack the network. And so uh, I remember asking the guy like, you know, where, you know, how did you get into the field? And like, you know, how did you, how do I get started? And when he told me the name of his company, you know, which I, I knew that before, but once I started talking to him um, after he left, I basically applied for that company three years in a row um, before I finally got the opportunity. So um, I think having an IT background really helped me kind of get into cybersecurity because it's it's difficult to just jump straight into cybersecurity sometimes. But if you have a background of like, you know, what is a computer, right? How do I fix a computer? You know, uh, what does protocols mean? Um, things like that. Then it kind of helps you transition into cybersecurity. But um, I would say nowadays the best way to kind of get into it is really to, to, to go after certifications because um, some of your certifications like from offensive security, they test your knowledge. Um, sorry, it's my ice maker, just making all kind of noises. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was waiting for me to join the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, offensive security, they test your knowledge right on the spot, right? You don't just, you just don't study a book and take an exam afterwards and have a certification that's very reputable in the industry they basically test you to like try to hack a network try to pivot from network to network and uh that's part of the exam too so you have to like prove that you can do the day-to-day -day work by going through the course taking the exam and passing the exam so once you pass those types of exams they um they really demonstrate that you can you know unless you cheated of course but they really demonstrate that's the whole intention right it's to demonstrate that you can do what it takes to be a consultant in cybersecurity. okay and can you uh, name, um, I remember in, on an old, older interview, um, you told us <laughs> how long it took you to take the exam. Can you, can you tell them how long it took you to take the exam? Yeah. Um, so I have some certification by eLearn Security, Offensive Security. And for each of those courses, I did 90 days. Um, but I was, <clears throat> I was studying every single day. Like I thought I was I, I was waiting on my girlfriend at the time just leaving because I just figured I was coming down the road, you know, like I was in it, like I was dead in a, the uh, certification exam. So I was working on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday, literally every day for 90 days. Um, and after that, I was, you know, I felt pretty confident about the courses. And, um, you know, I passed the OSCP first attempt, passed the OSCE on, I think, the second attempt. And the one from eLearn Security was, you know, the first attempt as well. But I spent a lot of time. Can you break down those uh, acronyms? Because a lot of people don't um, don't know what that means. Those acronyms. Yeah. It's not in cybersecurity, deep in security. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you learn so the EC you learn security, the certification that I have from them is called ECPPT, which is the eLearn Security Certified Professional Pen Tester. Um, I have two from offensive security called OSCP and OSCE, which are basically offensive security certified professional and offensive security certified uh, expert. Okay. Um, then, uh, uh, then you said at one point that one of those certifications you had to, you had to do something for like twenty four hours straight or something like that. Yeah, actually, the OSCP and OSCE. Um, so they give you a, a small time. I guess it's not really small. That's kind of subjective, but they give you a time frame to to hack, you know, the targets to uh, you know achieve the, the goal, right? Which is to get access to the to desktop and, and and cat out a file or see a file on the desktop, right? Um, and then you have to write the report. But those exams are so crazy. 
that they literally take up a lot of your time. Like it's one thing to take a course and then you take an exam and you, you, you're, you're tested on what you learned in the course and then you can pass the exam pretty easily. But these exams, they challenge you to think outside the box. So, you know, just because I was able to, to fly past the courses and, you know, I was able to master the courses over and over and over, that didn't really mean that I was, you know, going to be able to take the exams and just pass them straight up. So that took me a lot of time and research and, you know, frustration and every that challenged me in every single aspect possible. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, can you, uh, I know it's been a long time, but um, how much did you spend on certification exams? Because I know a lot of sort of high level certification exams, especially in cybersecurity, IT costs a lot of money. Um, did you do any type of training? Uh, if you did, how much did that cost? How much time you spent before you took those exams, studying, preparing? Yeah, definitely. So um, when it comes to the three cybersecurity certifications, I have 12 total, but most of them are just mostly IT related, like A plus, security plus, you know, and I was getting started into the field. But the cybersecurity ones, um, I want to say I probably spent no more than $3,500 total in like all of the, you know, let's just say five grand to be conservative, right? Um, um, but yeah, and, and that's, you know, that was a pretty good price to pay because the, the amount of information I was able to learn from those uh, courses um, are, is crazy. Right, and I've already you know made that money back using that knowledge, so that's not really you know too expensive if you think about it from the long term. All right, cool. Um, so, so you got some high level certifications. You're in the field. You're doing your work. Um, so, what made you want to start your own cybersecurity firm? Yeah, definitely. So, first of all, I have a lot of ideas, right? Um, and it, it, it's it's sometimes it can become hard to um, to explore those ideas when you're working for another company. A lot of companies nowadays they're um, afraid to you know adapt to change or they don't want to really kind of move with the technology and the pace that the technology is moving in because they're you know already established they've got a lot of money already coming in so it doesn't really hit home as much. So while you may have some ideas and they sound cool, they may not necessarily get implemented because it's not a high priority, right? Um, the company isn't hurting. So when I was working for my last company, and you know, I still have a really good relationship with them, I love them, and you know, we, we talk actually quite often, but um, I had an idea to take, so just to kind of, kind of put it into perspective, so a cybersecurity consultant, what they typically do is you, you get an assessment, you, you know, an assessment is basically company A needs you, they need you to, 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 to hack their network, write a report, and then you move on to the next client, and it's a rinse and repeat situation. But what cybersecurity consultants don't like to do a lot of times is reporting, right? Um, reporting can take 10 hours, it can take six hours. Half the time, a lot of companies nowadays, when it comes to reporting, you're um, you're basically copying and pasting icons back and forth in the report. You're creating charts, you know, you're adding a bunch of text that quite frankly could be automated. And so um, I, I wanted to take the, the six to 10 hour process and just make it make sense. And, you know, in, you know, 2018. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I remember uh, I went on site for a really large client and I had a report that was going to be so, it's going to take me so long to write it manually that I spent the entire week studying how to automate the report. 
so that I can automate not only that report, but the reports going forward. Um, but at the time, they weren't really too excited about kind of moving into an automated reporting framework. Uh, we had a developer at the time and they were, you know, that was on our roadmap, but it just wasn't anywhere, you know, close to happening. And so um, I wanted to to be able to embrace those ideas because I kept feeling limited, like I need to figure out how to do this. And so that's pretty much how I started Bonahai. I was like, all right, well, I can take some of the things that you know, would take 10 hours and save all the time, and I can turn that into, you know, save some money for the client as well. So um, the whole idea behind starting the company was to take what I used to do manually and automate that entire process as much as possible. All right. So you talk about automation. Um, you want to go elaborate a little bit more about the automated software that you created? Yeah. So as I was going on site working for clients, um, what I started doing was basically jotting down what I used to do, my methodology, kind of my thinking process, right? If I ran this command and this was the output, this is what was next on the list. And so um, I started developing software to, to essentially do that for me, right? So rather than run the exact same stuff every single client, I just click a button and it runs it for me. Right. And then after I got that accomplished, I was like, okay, well, these are what the results could potentially be. So if these are the results, then this is the next step. These are the next steps that I take. So over time, I just started developing more and more and more. And essentially, I just started saving more and more time uh, with all of my assessments. So uh, like right now, we're automating the reporting process. We've taken that same 10 hour process and it now takes seconds, literally. Um, and we don't even click the button to make the report, it just makes it on its own. So, um, and we're starting to see now in the industry that people are starting to realize that, oh, wow, this is possible. And the results are better than what it would have taken, you know, what, it, what, it, uh, what a, a, a human would have, you know, produced. Right. So it's been an interesting experience. All right, so, you, uh, so now you're automating the process. So how long did it take you to develop the code? Um, did you do it by yourself? Did you hire an independent contractor or your employees assisted you? How did you go in about creating it? Yeah. So initially when I started developing automated automation code, I was doing it for myself just to automate some of the work that I was doing for 1099 contract work um, as a cybersecurity consultant, you know, doing contract work. And um, I was like, okay. So I had an interface to it, like a front end interface, but um, at some point I started kind of, you know, just kind of throwing out little seeds on LinkedIn. Hey, you know, we're automating pen testing, you know, and people started catching on to it and they were like, oh, wow, you're, you know, what do you mean? And so when I showed them the dashboard that I automated, that I created for myself. Oh, before you, when you, what is pen testing? Some people don't realize what pen testing is. Gotcha. Yeah. So penetration testing is basically you um, hacking a company Ethical hacking. Ethical, ethical hacking. Ethical hacking, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting hired to do it. It's not illegal, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, finish. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when they started expressing a lot of interest in an interface, I started tweaking the interface to not be for myself, but for, for them. And as I started doing that, I realized that, okay, well, there's a lot of people out there who need, you know, a platform like this to, to help them automate pen testing and offer it to their customers. So uh, at that point, 
I was able to, to, to maintain a development for myself for, for quite some time. And then I realized that I needed to focus on some other areas in the business. And that's when I hired a developer to just only, um, you know, modify uh, or develop the front end. And I would just basically take care of the back end, the hacking pieces, you know, chain those together. All right, cool. All right. So how do you go about um, being, since you're, you're, you're young, um, <laughs> to own a cybersecurity firm, um, so how do you go on about getting clients? Because somebody like you, like you walking into the office saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the CEO of Final High Security, I'm here. Um, walk us through like how you get customers. Have you had any like funny interactions when you showed up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's been interesting. It's, it, in my opinion, it's always like a learning process, even with the clients that we do have, because we constantly have to like stay ahead of the curve and like, you know, stay ahead of the competition. Um, but when I first started, I was like, okay, well, I know how to hack, right? I've been doing these 10 services for the last, you know, seven years, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so eventually I just kind of went out and just was trying to like sell myself doing those exact same services. So I was, you know, luckily I had some really good connections with some cybersecurity companies that were like, hey, yeah, if you want to do some 1099 work, you know, I, you know, I know your work ethics. I know you can knock this out of the park. So if we have some extra work, we'll send it to you. So I started establishing that kind of like relationship with multiple cybersecurity companies to the point to where eventually, you know, Q4, which is quarter four, um, usually the busiest time for cybersecurity companies, uh, in my experience, uh, when those times started rolling around, they started handing off a lot of work to me. So I was able to, um, you know, that process was able to put money in my pockets, allow me to buy some time to figure out ways to kind of like market and sell myself. And it wasn't until um, when we, when I got a, you know, started developing VPNs as the front end, um, we finally found our place in the market. So rather than being just another cybersecurity company offering the same services that hundreds of other cybersecurity companies are offering, we realize that we have an automate, we have a platform that um, doesn't really exist on the market already. Um, and so we started, you know, and, and there's a demand for it, there's, there's a need for it. So we started honing in on that process and we've learned to kind of like, you know, tweak the messaging, um, reach out to people who um, can can put us in contact with those those individuals. Okay, cool. Yeah. I got a comment from somebody like from YouTube. Train me, train. How about the time I do basic math on a demo? <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so <laughs> so we've had some funny scenarios. So Tranny Anderson, she's our chief marketing officer, and she is amazing. Oh, that's the one who do the. That's the one who does the uh, the fly the posting like all. Yeah. The yeah, the graphics, they nice. Yeah, they nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I still say that. And it's been like, you know, over a year later. It's crazy. But um, so, you know, we had a process. We had a time where we were trying to, like, figure out the pricing. Right. I know traditional ethical hacking assessments cost this much and I know I can automate it. So I was like, OK, well, if I can still be competitive because I don't want to be too cheap, then, you know, I'm going to stay at the, you know similar price. But then over time we got the pricing stuff sorted out. And uh, <laughs> so on our demos, we, we usually like tell the client, you know, hey, this is how much it costs, right? And you know, we have a, we have a pricing model that 
you know, they can purchase a block of IP addresses, you know, and they can allocate it however they want. And so, um, you know, we, we have these scenarios where they're like, all right, well, if we've got a 500 IP addresses, what does that mean? And so I just started doing some basic math and I'm like, yeah, so if you've got 10 clients with 50 IP addresses, then, you know, that's 500. And I'm just like, wait, hold up. That's like, you know, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> so I choked up on his, on his demo for like a good, like 30 seconds, trying to do some basic math. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I just told a client, I was like, you know what? Yeah. So you, you know what I mean, you know. <laughs> but that was so embarrassing. <laughs> That's happened like twice too. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so uh, we talk about the certifications and stuff like that. So. Uh, uh, I teach uh, cybersecurity courses at a uh, community college here in New Orleans um, at Delgado and students always ask me what what should they do how do they separate themselves from everybody else when they're applying for a job mm-hmm. um, or even when they're trying to start because I preach about even starting your own businesses mm-hmm. um, what would you tell someone who wants to get in the cybersecurity field like what would you tell them they should start doing like uh, yeah. certifications uh, should they even go to school um, your thoughts about that? Yeah. So uh, I have a good example for you. So we have a guy on our team there, Rob. He's uh, based in uh, based in the Netherlands, and he started off with us just basically posting articles on LinkedIn and our social media platforms just to make sure you know we're we're staying active. Um, but he had a passion to get into cybersecurity, and so the route that he took was that he started doing some research, you know, trying to kind of shadow me on ethical hacking assessments. And uh, he did a lot of research on his own, a lot of homework, right? So he started taking some courses, um, kind of just researching, you know, uh, basically finding out more information about new vulnerabilities that got released. And he would dive pretty deep on those, um, on, on you know, on, in the research. And so um, he, I think what really kind of helped him out too was being able to kind of shadow me on some of those assessments to the point to where now he's like running the assessments himself, you know? So I think even for some of the students, if they could do some research, you know, um, to kind of stay up to date, obviously, on some of the cybersecurity, you know, vulnerabilities coming out there, but also to get involved, right? Get involved in some of the, the community-based projects that are out there, like Metasploit. Um, if you don't know how to code, just just take up, you know, go to codeacademy.com and, and start to learn like Ruby, you learn Python. So one of the things that Rob was able to do to do was, you know, without having, you know, five years of experience, he's already written like like nine Metasploit modules. He's got, you know, several CDEs published, which are just, you know, vulnerabilities that are, are published on the Internet and documented. Well, hold on, hold on. You talk, you talk, you talking too tech. You talking too tech. You know, you got people that are watching who, who don't know all that. So uh, yeah. explain what a uh, Metasploit is and what Ruby and Python and Linux yeah. what are <laughs> Yeah, that's all with the programming language. That's so much gotcha. learning when you're going through cybersecurity. Gotcha. Yeah. So one of the most valuable things that you can learn as a cybersecurity consultant is how to code, right? Um, you don't have to be a professional developer, but if you know how to make your job more efficient, then you can excel really well in cybersecurity. So Ruby and Python are the two most common scripting languages in cybersecurity, like. For example, if you're trying to do an ethical hacking assessment and you want to make whatever process that you're doing much faster, 
you can learn one of those two languages or other languages too, but you can learn one of those two languages to, um, to essentially create scripts and tools to make your processes much faster. So um, I say that to say that Metasploit is written in Ruby, which is, you know, very, again, a popular scripting language in cybersecurity. And it's something that a lot of consultants use on a day-to-day -day basis during their jobs. So um, if you can take, if you can, if you can get the opportunity to learn how to contribute to some of these projects, whether it's fixing an error, setting up a lab environment, testing out, you know, certain exploits, certain security vulnerabilities, um, then that will really help because you'll you'll learn to, to to write code, which will you know you'll be able to create tools, publish them on GitHub, um, and you'll be able to put that on your resume. So by the time you go to apply for a company to say, hey, I want to work with you guys, they're going to say, oh, this guy knows this coding language. He's, you know, fixed these tools. He's written stuff in Metasploit. And they're going to they're going to want to take a look at you because a lot of people don't consider that when they're trying to get into cybersecurity. What is, uh, what is Metasploit? Yeah. So Metasploit is a tool that a lot of cybersecurity consultants use on a day to day basis. So using Metasploit, you can launch exploits. You can check for vulnerabilities on uh, certain systems and certain services. So it's 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 one of the most popular, if not the most popular, framework that contains a bunch of exploits and security vulnerability checks um, that consultants use, uh, use on a day to day basis. Okay, so it's like a it's like an operating system based on Linux or Kali Linux or something like that. Yeah. So if you if you download Kali Linux, um, Metasploit is already uh, pre installed. Okay. Yeah, you want to explain what Kali Linux is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Kali Linux is, is is a is a is a is a penetration testing operating system. So, for example, if you need to do an ethical hacking assessment, you probably don't want to run Windows and download a bunch of tools onto your Windows box. I mean, you can, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's just painful. Your computer might restart for updates in the middle of what you're doing. I mean, it's not it's not a good experience. So Kali, Kali Linux is an operating system that <laughs> it's an operating system that has hundreds of hacking tools already installed. So whatever type of hacking attempts or exploit attempts or security vulnerability checks you want to do. There's probably like a 95% chance that the tools that you need to check those vulnerabilities to launch those exploits already exist in Kali Linux. All right, cool. Um, yes, and it is free. It's open source software, so you can download it right now if you want to. All right. All right. So uh, we talked about uh, programming languages, uh, certifications, um, uh, how you prepare using your um, education. So let's talk about how is it when you do an assessment? Can you explain? You always keep talking about doing assessment. What is an assessment? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, let's say day fourteen after you start working at a cybersecurity company, after you finish the onboarding, what the day-to-day -day process looks like is you're right. You're sitting at your computer. You know, you're on YouTube, whatever. Your project manager comes to you. They say, "Hey, um, I have an assessment. I'm just going to use Walgreens for an example, right?" Okay. Walgreens, um, they need to do their yearly security assessment in order to meet compliance this year. So what happens is your project coordinator, they're gonna get you on a call with the chief security officer, the, the head IT guy at Walgreens, 
and you're going to get on a call with that that guy and say hey you know i'm a consultant here um let's talk about what we need to do and so walgreens is going to provide you they're going to say hey every year we do a security assessment in order to meet pci and we, we need you know we need to have someone to, to test our network to make sure that it's secure so in order to do that they're going to provide you ip addresses right um you and and they're going to say hey these are ip addresses you can only test from eight to five during business hours you know uh we have a deadline to meet next week right and uh could you get started today so you as a consultant you're going to go ahead and get started you're going to fire up cali linux um if the client has provided you a way to connect to the network which most of the time they do um unless you're providing a way for them to you know set you up into their network like a vpn or etc but you're going to fire up cali linux you're going to get connected to that company's network and you're going to go to you're going to go to hacking right you're going to find whatever vulnerabilities you can find whatever kind of exploits you can find um in order to to accomplish the goal but uh one thing too is during those those scoping calls you're really talking to the client to understand their network understand any challenges they've had in the past just to kind of make sure that you know you're set up for, for success they're going to basically tell you hey we want to make sure that these ip addresses cannot be hacked or these systems can't be touched you can't see these systems we want to make sure that these systems are bulletproof pretty much and so your goal as the consultant is to find a way to get access to those systems that they don't want you to be able to access so it's almost like you know you have a, a mission to 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 get there, right? Um, using your your skills and thinking out the box. <clears throat> okay. So uh, let me ask you this: doing one of those assessments, um, do, nine out of ten, the IT department or the IT security team doesn't know about it. Just only senior leadership. So most of the times, the IT team uh, they do know about it. Um, unless they specifically want to test their team to see what they'll do if something like this was to really happen. So you have two different you have two different scenarios. You have a scenario where they're just like, hey, we just need to like make sure this is secure. We don't, you know, we've got a bunch of tools. We don't want to coordinate, you know, um, we just want you to go get started. Um, they'll tell their team so that if their team finds it, they don't slow you down and block traffic and, you know, shut your port off and stuff like that. And then you have some other companies who say, you know, I want to see if John has been doing his job really well. So uh, <laughs> we won't tell him. So, uh, you know, just go ahead and start hacking and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see if he catches you along the way. And then if he doesn't, then that's his problem at the end of the, you know, end of the week. So. Okay. Okay. All right. Have you, uh, do you also, do you do the, like the full uh, on, on pen testing? Like people, like I know they do the IT, they do the penetration testing and then they try to access the physical security of the uh, place. Like they, do you all call and say you with IT and try to get um, information from people like that? Do you do you provide services like that? Yep. So those are um, social engineering services. Yes. So, yeah. yes. Yep. So the first one is uh, we do like pretext calling where we'll, you know, impersonate IT, you okay. know, uh, say, hey, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with Kaspersky, you know, um, you know, we're just trying to help your IT team fix something. Could you do this for me? And sometimes you get people to say yes. And then the other one is exactly what you said. Um, you're trying to impersonate. And I've got a lot of stories about that. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, give me one. I, I, I yeah. want to hear one because I always want to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, the scariest situation I've had was I had a wireless security assessment, which a wireless, a wireless security assessment is basically you're testing the wireless network to make sure it's secure. No one can just come into the parking lot and just start 
get on, you know, get on the internet and, and hack in the company. So I had that and I also had an on-site social engineering assessment where the client just said, hey, get in however you can and, um, you know, let us know how you, how you, how you, get, how you get in because all of the doors are locked, you can't get in. So I spent a little bit of time in the morning trying to find out where the doors were, where people were going to come out, you know, for lunch. And uh, nine o'clock hit and people started coming into the parking lot and walking through the back door. So, you know, I just got on my phone, uh, you know, had my, you know, uh, I was dressed up business, you know, business casual and uh, just walked in behind the employee and uh, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, hey, where, where's, where's your ID or do you work here or anything like that? It just let me in. So I was in there just perfectly fine with no problem. And um, I was in there for quite some time and I was telling the client, hey, I'm in here, I'm, I'm walking around, you know, I'm, I, I know where everything is. I'm in the break room right now, you know, just looking around. So um, at that point, I told the client, hey, I'm getting ready to start the wireless security assessment. There's really not a reason for me to, you know, walk up, walk out to the front, meet you and come back and do the same thing that I'm getting ready to do right now. So I'm just, you know, do the wireless assessment while I'm here. So uh, and the client was cool with it. So I got into one of the cubicles and I was just bold at that point. I was like, all right, I'm in here already. I've already passed. I've, I've got enough information for my report. The social engineering assessment is done. So, so you know, I'm done. Like, you can catch me if you want. I don't care now. This is, this is it. So I sat in the cubicle. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't care who catches me. I mean, you know, that's if they, you know, whatever. So I'm pulling up my wireless equipment, antennas, just kind of flinging them all over the place. Don't care who catches me. And I was in there for like a good 30 minutes, no problem. I even pretty much completed the wireless assessment, but um, not too, I wanna say about 45 minutes total after I sat down and everything like that, there was a group of guys that walked up to me and you know, one of them was obviously a security guy. And you know, I was, he was just like, hey, I know you don't belong here, you know, what are you doing? And I'm just, I'm still in my mood. I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. You know, you know what do you, what do you mean? I'm just, <laughs> Yeah, what do you, you know, what's next? Tell me the thing you got to say, right? <laughs> so um, um, he was like, yeah, uh, could, could you come with me to the front office? Like, and he walked me up to the front of the building. It was, you know, he was trying to find out who I was and, and stuff like that. And my client, I couldn't reach him. So I got nervous. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> Go there, hold on. <laughs> you know, I promise this is legit. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was going to call the cops and that was going to be it for me. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, I always want to do some type of social engineering attack. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that instance, um, what was your biggest mistake? Um, doing your career um, and how did you come back from it? Mm, biggest mistake. Mm, that's a tough one, honestly, because I don't feel like I've made any mistakes. Um, I feel like every decision that I've made, even going from job to job, has always like, you know, served me really well at the end of the day, even if it was pretty nerve wracking up front, you know? Um, yeah, that's... It's kind of hard for me to, to, to look at anything like that as a mistake. I mean, I may have hacked the wrong network before and wrote a report on the wrong client's network. <laughs> hey, that's a mistake. 
Yeah, you know what? That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So I got hired to, for for a client to do some work and provided um, me the IP addresses, and I just fat fingered some IP addresses. You know, found a whole bunch of vulnerabilities, a whole bunch of vulnerabilities, and I put it into a report, and the client was like, you listed like 10 report findings here. This is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and none of these belong to us. And I was like, oh, snap. Hmm. What is this going to look like? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I mean, that's, that was a, that was a pretty big, you know, did you like, tell a company, did you tell a company with, uh, with wrong IPs about the vulnerabilities? Um, I had to get like manage management involved and oh, okay. was, like, you know, I mean, we can just fix it. We can just, and that's it, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. You know? Uh, all right. So well, let's talk about, let's go to the positive route. What was your, uh, what was that moment that you realized you, you were a, a huge success or oh, Vina High was security was a success? Mm, I think it was right around the time we um, published an article about the, our platform VPentest, and I remember like me and Trammy just we just got flooded with demos the next week, and we were just like trying to figure out, oh wow, like all of these demos, and we're trying to figure out the process, and like you know, I've I've never done a demo of the product before. I don't know what's going to break, what's not going to break. You know, the pricing was still a little bit kind of confusing. We're trying to figure that out, and so. Um, I think when we saw how many companies wanted to get a demo of the product, we were like, wow, this platform has a lot of potential. So that was, excuse me, probably the biggest moment for me in the last two years where I was just like, wow, this is, this, this, this might be it right here. You know? Okay. All right. Yeah. You, talk, you talk a lot about demo, you know, in my classes, I like to, I like my students to do a lot of presentations and mm -hmm. ready to do like demos or Resum um, interviews, presented themselves, the resume or the project that they're working on to get them ready in the real work field. Um, can you tell them um, the importance of being able to speak in front of complete strangers, being able to sell yourself or your product or your company? Yeah, I think for me, um, it's interesting because nowadays, like when our sales guy hear me on a demo, he's like, man, that just sounds so good. I want to learn, you know, I want to, I want to be able to present and talk about the technical stuff like you can. But for me, it was, it was just a learning experience. I mean, I thought like <clears throat> I had like practiced some public speaking. I had tried to get as comfortable as possible. I was, you know, moved to a different city and, and, you know, trying to network and just be out and open as much as possible. But I think on those demos, it was really just kind of a learning experience. Just kind of like you record them, you start talking, you realize that the client was confused when you started talking about this or this didn't really resonate too well. And so it allowed me to kind of like tweak my messaging a little bit more and, you know, kind of like put some personality into the demos too, which is super important because some people just do demos and they're just talking and there's like no laugh, no smile. It's just like talking to Siri, um, you know, on a, on a demo. Like, I'm gonna get bored real fast. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All right, so, uh, so tell me how is it when you're presenting um, your demo for your software? Um, you said earlier, you said you want to show a picture of it um, if you want to share a screen so the listeners and subscribers and my students can know what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Let me, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure I've gotten logged out or something now. Oh, here we go. Cool. And why are you doing it? Um, I'm trying to settle like a huge debate. Um, <laughs> iPhone. What? 
uh, <laughs> operating system do you recommend the most? Uh, is it Windows, Mac OS, or Linux? Absolutely. Well, first of all, in my opinion, absolutely not Windows. <laughs> absolutely. Why is, why is that? I got to look at myself when I say this. Hold on, give me one second. Go at the full screen. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not microsoft windows um i've had so many years of frustration of windows updates just forcing itself and just rebooting right yes. there's yeah. no reason on the planet i have to google how to stop windows updates I, <laughs> you've got to go into your registry settings you've got to like change this you've got to change that and then it still reboots you know you wake up and it's like welcome to the computer it's like what i had like 20 tabs open <laughs> you know um, so that's my biggest thing. I just feel like there's just a lot of unnecessary weird quirks and I'm not a big fan of like the squares. I mean, it's a personal thing there, but like, uh, there's a lot of like inconveniences when it comes to windows. But for me, I personally like to use Mac. I mean, the first day I've used it, I've never had any issues, like any major issues or repetitive issues. It's so simple to use. Exactly. And, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Like my mom. She used to always hit me up and complain about viruses on her computer when she had a Windows laptop. And according to her, all she did was check email, but she had like 15 toolbars in the Explorer. Right. <laughs> I got her a MacBook and she hasn't called me one time since that's been several years ago, you know? Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Mac person, iOS, all of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm trying to tell people, uh, but some people just, they just don't want, they just love Windows. I'd be like, you just don't understand the headache you're gonna have, but okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, a MacBook is so worth the investment. You will save so much, you know, frustration and many headaches. <laughs> oh you'll sleep better. If you get a MacBook today, you'll sleep better tonight, I promise. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, so uh, I had another question for you as well while you're doing that. Um, so do you all uh, pen test or secure like uh, mobile devices for corporations like iPads, iPhones, Android, tablets, stuff like that? Yeah, so we do some mobile app assessments, uh, I iOS and Android. Um, I personally haven't done many myself. I've only done a few, just a handful of them. Um, I've mostly been kind of focusing on like network pen testing and application testing, social engineering, but I have a, a lot of resources that I, you know, people I used to work with and some really close friends that do mobile app testing on a daily basis, pretty much. Okay. Yep. Uh, show your screen. Hold on. All right, there we go. Yep. So, um, you know, for us, this is kind of like the bread and butter when it comes to our platform, right? We, we, you know, in, in terms of like, so here, what, you, what you're looking at here is basically a way to kind of track a pen test in real time. So, you know, in a, in the past, basically, you have a, a person, a human who has to communicate with the customer and, and say, hey, all right, I'm ready to start testing. And then once they get on a network, right, they're doing a lot of stuff manually. And, you know, hackers, you know, or ethical hackers, pen testers, consultants, whatever you want to call them, we get so excited when it comes to the hacking. We don't really, we, we, we forget to communicate with the customer. Hey, I found this, or hey, this may be an issue. We're, we're so focused on being the baddest hacker and like just being super, super cool what we're doing. <laughs> and we forget to provide value to the client, right? And maintain communication. So with this dashboard, we basically wanted to kind of solve that so that what you're looking at here is, is a way for, for uh, you know, our customers and partners to, to kind of track a penetration test when it happens in real time. So 
you know, again, we automate this entire process. So there should never be a question about, you know, what exactly are you doing? Did you test this system? Did you hack this comp Did you hack this network? Did you, you know, get access to this computer? Um, mm -hmm. They see this in real time. So, um, <clears throat> um, so are you are you are you the run running the uh, program itself, or is a customer once the client once once it's on a network, they manage it? Yeah. So um, all I really do is just kind of make make sure that they they run properly. But the client they have the ability to to it's like a very simple process. They can schedule the assessment on their end. They can go through like a scheduler, which is like six easy steps, and then that's it. Once they schedule that, it kicks off and gives them access to this page so that they can watch it happen in real time. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So, it sends, so it sends reports and alerts? Exactly. So they get alerts in real time. They can subscribe to text messages in real time. Um, I've had a few clients that were so technical, they wanted to watch it happen in the back end, and they really got excited about that. Um, okay. And the reporting, you know, once this finishes, the report is available. So there's no two week pay, uh, period like, you know, the traditional route is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So they pay, so they pay you like a monthly subscription fee to, for access to the software? Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. 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 So is it uh, everything's virtual? Do they have is it a physical device that needs to be on a network for this to work? So they have the ability. We, we, we try to push for a virtual because we don't, you know, when it, when, it, when it comes to hardware, that can just become an issue with like inventory and you wait on this device back from that client. You've got 50 of them stacked in the closet. It is a pain. Um, however, we do utilize the Raspberry Pi as a physical like device that, you know, our partners can can purchase from us to um, ship to their clients to run, you know, the, the platform or run the pen test rather. OK. All right. Yep. That's cool. This is cool. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, uh, all right. All right let me, uh, that's cool. So it gives you all the information that you need. So let me ask you this. So <laughs> since you created a software that automates your job, uh -huh. what about <laughs> when you want to expand, expand your company and you actually need real cybersecurity individuals? So that's that's the that's the good thing, you know. The platform allows us that scalability, right? Whereas traditional companies, they have to find somebody who is qualified to do the work, find somebody who can communicate, somebody who is technical enough, somebody who is available, somebody. They have to pay for benefits. They have to pay for so much stuff. There's a lot of overhead. So when it comes to the scalability part, that's where I really love the platform because if we just so happen hypothetically, right? If there were 50 clients tomorrow who said, hey, we need a pen test tomorrow, we don't have to call anybody. We just simply say, hey, all right, set this up and you're good to go, right? Um, now, when it comes to like expanding the platform, I do, um, you know, my researcher, myself, um, and my, my team, and also, you know, have a, a, a lot of connections in the cybersecurity world. It's always a collaboration thing. so. If there's something new that comes out, we'll, we'll try to implement it into the platform so that, you know, all of our partners and clients can take advantage of that without having to coordinate something with the next pen test. OK, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. That is that's, that's great. <laughs> I can see why a lot of people asking for demo because I, I want a demo. I want a live demonstration as well. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, I can work on any operating system. Um, so basically, the virtual machine itself is Kali. Okay. So, yeah. So, like, if you wanted to run it, you literally just you can download Kali or you can download our VM, and you're good to go. 
you can yeah. plug in like an uh, an agent and you're, you're ready to rock and roll. All right, pretty cool. All right, Earl, you kept mentioning um, 1099. Uh, mm-hmm. People don't know what that is. Can you explain what a 1099 is? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of cybersecurity companies, probably most of them really. Um, so Q4, you know, the last three months of the year is, are usually like the busiest times of the year for, for companies. Everybody's trying to spend their budget. They forgot about scheduling stuff earlier, et cetera. So you'll see a lot of people come to you and say, hey, we need some work, we need it tomorrow. And these companies, they can't fulfill those needs. So what they do is, you know, they've got their team booked up for the next, you know, to January, February, and they need some extra hands, um, but they don't want to hire a full-time employee because they're going to have to let them go in three months. So um, what they do is they have these people that are on standby who can, and they're 299 contractors who, you know, at the time when they need them, they just say, hey, Bill, Dave, John, can you guys do these assessments, you know, next week, next month, whatever the case is, and they do it, they get paid, and Bill, John, and Dave, those are the three names I can't remember, um, they just go back to their day-to-day stuff, whatever they're doing. <laughs> they're, basic, <laughs> they're basically just, like, available on standby, and it really works out for, like, you know, people who don't really want to work full-time for one particular company. They have the freedom to kind of bounce around between companies, no conflicts, nothing like that. So it's a really good option in my opinion. It just the stability, you just don't have the stability or sometimes the benefits. But the health okay. benefits and stuff. All right. Oh. Um, so let's talk about um what was that? Uh let me look at my notes one second. I had my I had a question in my head and I forgot I'm getting too old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had it in my head. That 2020 effect right there. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, all right. So, being a man of color, have you ever been uh, come to a client um, and they didn't know that you were uh, African American? Um, did you have any issues with that? I've, I had I've interviewed people and they told me how they come. <laughs> to help clients and they didn't realize they were black and they'd be like they'll lie to them and say hey uh we didn't call you and be like what what are you talking about but yeah have you had instances like that that's interesting no i've i've had like one or two clients say hey I, I thought you know like oh wow all right like but they were so cool about it, it wasn't like a i guess it was the way i just kind of communicate i don't know maybe it was, i don't know but or what their expectations were but um i've never I've never run into a situation like that, um, but I've, you know, it's kind of interesting too because like I've only I've been like, you know, I've only worked with probably two or three others like myself in the last like seven or eight years, literally, um, across all of the companies I've worked for or even the Italian I work with. So, um, but I feel like our clients, you know, and, and, and a lot of tech folks, they kind of get it. So. You know, you never really know what, what to expect when it comes to like a hacker, right? You might get some guy that looks like he's 12 years old. You might get a guy with, with pink hair, right? Um, <laughs> so I don't think I'm like too, too, too different from like, you know, some of the expectations out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, speaking of the lack of diversity in technology, because I, I see it as well every day. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think we we can improve um, for more minorities and more women to get into the IT arena? Yeah, I think mostly um, just just having some more programs to kind of like offer those opportunities, right? Because you know, 
everyone doesn't want to go to school and so like all right what are your options now right there's not a lot of like information out there that's available for you to kind of like say okay well this is the other path right um versus going to school so i think just kind of having more programs even like the spareware program that you know we did uh like two years ago um i'll be speaking at delgado i believe in november as well so just kind of like keeping those you know opportunities open and those those types of programs i think they're you know they're gonna be really helpful in those areas all right um so what is what is the future plans for vinyl high security yeah yeah so um <clears throat> you know this whole automation space has been very interesting um five years ago when you, if you had talked about ai everybody would have been like ha, 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 ai <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right you know. people still like that people still yeah. i ain't gonna take over yeah you know ai whatever one day and now they're talking to alexa at home every day and like you know what i'm saying so it's it's like we're really trying to embrace the automation space you know one of the things is that you know again people don't believe in automation but we see it happening every every day i've had a client who their entire kitchen at their main restaurant was automated you know except for people bringing the plates back and forth it's like it's happening every day so um we really want to keep barking up this route and, and kind of helping companies who couldn't afford Cybersecurity services in the past be able to afford them by implementing you know automated processes, automated platforms, automated code, so that we can not only scale but also offer to you know people who haven't been able to afford it in the past. So we really want to get it in the hands of more people than you know it's been possible in the last you know ten years or so. Okay, so yeah. uh, when you're since you're a business owner, you're in your own cybersecurity firm. Um, when you look for somebody who want to work with you or partner up. What do you? What characteristics or um, talents are you looking for? Yeah, I think for me, it's mostly somebody who's hungry, right? So, because anybody can put anything on paper, right? But you know, somebody who can think out the box really stands out to me because that means they're they're super super anxious to learn more. They're gonna stay up and do more than what we ask, right? Like they're gonna be doing their own homework. Um, and, and that means a lot because that's the kind of people that we want to put in front of a client, right? We want a client to, to see that the person that they're working with is very excited, they're very knowledgeable, and they're not just working just to get a paycheck. Um, because that can you, can, you can run across a lot of people like that who just want to work there just to get paid because in cybersecurity, you know, they make a lot of money. So, um, you know, you might find a lot of people who just want to do that and rather than actually learn more and, and bring more to the table. And of course, with us being in the auto automation space, like we want to stay ahead of the curve and we can't do that if the people that we're, we're working with, like if they're not hungry for more and more knowledge, which is fine, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you see them all, I already said it. Yep. <laughs> offensive cybersecurity with automation. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yep, okay. it's gonna be very um, so uh, let the people know where they can uh, communicate with you and give them all your social media handles. Yeah. Yeah, I would, so for me, Instagram is probably the place where I'm most active. Um, my Instagram handle, my personal Instagram is ALTJX. Um, also LinkedIn, it's Alton, uh, A-L-T-O-N-J-X. You know, we're, I'm posting mostly like, like cybersecurity stuff on there. But um, yeah, I would say hit me up, you know, on Instagram or even on LinkedIn, to be honest. I mean, or even Twitter. Twitter is uh, Alton. <laughs> Alton JX as well, so okay. I love to, to talk and you know, to, and also check out my my personal site, which is AltonJ.io, which was built 
by Trammy completely. So uh, <laughs> <a lot> of- <laughs> yeah, shout out to you, CMO. She 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 puts out a lot of great content. I'll be like really impressed. Like it's it's nice. Like I remember I called you one day. I was like, yo, what software are you using to do that? Like that, that is nice. And you're like, nah, it's my CMO. <laughs> <laughs> I have to like fight people off of Trammy like every week. They're like, hey, you know, can we hire her for some some company? Like, no, you know, well, yeah. Yeah, she 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 does great work. All right, yeah. man. Um, you got any last words? Anything you want to, especially tell to my students who will probably be watching this later? Um, anything um, you motivate them? Anything they should do? Anything? Um, any habits that they need to learn to get in the cybersecurity field? <clears throat> Yeah, I would definitely just say, you know, definitely invest in some self-study courses, right? Like, um, don't don't expect to go someplace and for them to teach you, because especially nowadays, we're all working remotely. Like, luckily, I was able to work in an environment with a bunch of good people, and I was able to just slide my chair back and forward and learn a lot of good information. But nowadays, it's a lot harder working remotely, so you got to kind of, you have to be able to, to pick up this, you know, the pace and just, like, do your thing. Right. So definitely take a look at some some courses, get involved in the community, you know, maybe get on Twitter and start following people in cybersecurity, see what they're up to. You know, maybe send them some messages. You know, it'd be nice to just kind of like stay in the the, the loop because you never know who you run into again. You never know. Um, But, yeah, just, you know, learn how to code. That's going to be super important. If you if you're trying to get into cybersecurity and you 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 don't want to learn how to code, you're going to you're going to hate this field because you're going to be so (laughs) You're gonna be so slow. You won't be able to get anything done, mm-hmm. and it's just gonna be a, 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 a pain. So, I'm gonna go for sure. Yeah, I yeah. forgot to ask you that question. Um, yeah, how, how has COVID impacted your business so far? You know, surprisingly. So here's the thing: right when the COVID started happening, we were just like, "Oh man, you know, the whole world's shutting down. We're probably not gonna get any phone calls." But for some reason, it picked up a lot more. And I think because people started working remotely, you know, you still have to do cybersecurity stuff. You can't just say, oh, COVID. So, you know, we don't have to make PCI this year, right? Or we don't have to do any, you know, because the hackers are still going. They don't right. care. COVID 19, 18, 22, they don't care. They're going to still try. So, um, you know, a lot of people have shifted over to remote work. And I think that sparked a lot of like interest in, all right, now that everybody's working remotely, how do we properly secure our new infrastructure? So, okay. Yep. All right. All right. I got uh, maybe one or two more questions. Yeah. Uh, ransomware is on a rise. I'm teaching my students. Um, they be holding cities, um, schools, colleges. Um, what is your advice to any of your clients when wants to get attacked by ransomware? Should they pay it? Should they not pay it? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. See, that's always been like an interesting scenario because. It's really kind of just depending on you know what you know what what kind of data is at risk, right? Because I know I think like there's a lot of you know agencies that will say don't pay it, and you have some that say well you know do pay it. But I think ultimately, whenever it comes down to it, it just depends on that business and what's at risk, right? If there's nothing, if there's not a lot of stuff at risk and it's a small ransom, then to them it may be worth you know just just paying that so they can move on and recover. But then to some other companies, they may not want to do it because they don't want they don't want the bad guys to say, oh, well, everybody's paying. So let's just keep this going. Right. right. So you have the pros and cons of both scenarios. So I think it really just depends on the business and like what's at risk and how they want how they how they evaluate risk and what's susceptible to them and, you know, what their tolerance is to the risk. 
right. This is my last question, I promise. Yeah, no problem. Right. Yeah. All right. Being that you own your own business, you're an entrepreneur, um, how's your work life balance? Mm. Ooh, that's a really good question. Ooh, that's a good question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first, I want to say the first year and a half, maybe first two years, really. Um, I really didn't have a life, right? So I was working on Saturdays, working on Sundays, trying to figure out the next move, how to how to grow, how to expand, right? I was doing 1099 work, so I was like, all right, this may not last a long time. So how do I prepare for the worst whenever that whenever that situation comes up? So I was constantly like just in an office, but you know, I ended up taking a trip, and I was you know back. I think it's back home to New Orleans, and I kind of felt guilty because I was like, oh man, I, don't, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be working. It's the weekend, you know, I need to be thinking about the next move. But when I got back, I was like, wow, that felt very refreshing. And so I felt more productive. And so since then, I've been like, you know, and with the help of like getting more people on my team, I've been able to finally, finally uh, get back to having, you know, uh, a pretty normal, uh, not necessarily all the way normal, but mo more normal than it has been over the last few years. So um, the first for a while, it's been crazy. Like absolutely crazy, like getting home on, you know, going to sleep at like, get leaving the office at like 1.30 on a Monday morning, you know, um, past midnight, right? Because I'm like busy trying to figure stuff out. So it feels a lot better now though. Right. That's why I tell my students, um, when you're first starting off in your career or your business, you gotta put in some, you gotta put in the work at the beginning to enjoy your labors and uh, later on in the future. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, I think, um, so obviously now I know how the business is and I would I would be able to to, to recreate Vana High again in a much, much shorter time frame. But I think um, if I had a mentor up front, I think we probably could have saved a lot of time. So I think if, if I were to say something to them or to one of them who want to start a business, I would definitely say, if you could find a mentor, somebody who's just, you don't have to like take up all their time, but just to like, Poke, you know, uh, you know, poker, like just kind of ask them some questions from time to time to, to figure out ways to, to bypass some of the, the pains and struggles. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I learned that, wow, if I could do it again, I would be much like, you know, if I had to rewind time with this knowledge, you know, it'd be much different. <laughs> what, okay. If you, if you had the opportunity to ask a mentor, what would you ask them when you started? <laughs> yeah. Just kind of like what, you know, um, how to differentiate myself for one what does that look like right i have this idea about automated pen testing but how do i go about it right um there was stuff that we had to learn like oh because when i first developed the automated pen testing platform i was just making a platform to automate pen testing but then i didn't think about scalability until we started getting a bunch of people coming in and then we started realizing that oh well if we're on a phone for all these types of things we need to figure out a way to automate that so I think I would ask them like, how do I create a blueprint so that I can create and scale a business in today's world? Because it's going to change again, you know, in the next year or six months. Okay. Yeah. Right. Good. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I'm gonna keep you all too man. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, remember, everyone, please follow, like, subscribe, share, um, tag us in it. Make sure you hit a bond high security. Um, shout out to this. Uh, to his CMO who be doing the most on his social media handles uh, like I, I'm not gonna lie when I called you I really wanted like 
I want her to work for me too. Like, <laughs> she's <working> for me. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like, I would want to know that like, she do she do contract work on the side or something, you know? But uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, I know she 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 loved it. I know she loved it. <laughs> All right. All right, y'all. Uh, thank you all for coming on the show. Yep. I appreciate um, you having me. Yep. All right. All right. Thank you all. We out, y'all. Good night. Good night.